Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. All right, let's get into the third installment of the series that we're in called A Better Way. And today we're going to be talking about um, the better way when it comes to our finances. And so we're going we're gonna to use a verse from the Psalms and, and we're going to talk about how it's better to be godly, right? To value godliness more than we value wealth. But why, I think the big question that some of you might have is why in the world do we talk about money at church? Why do we do that? You know, isn't it all about Jesus and isn't it all about, you know, just focusing on God? And so why, why do churches sometimes talk about money? <clears throat> it definitely makes some people uncomfortable. Even when you flipped over your sermon notes today and you saw what we're talking about, some of you might have just got a little cringy and you're like, wow, no, we're talking about money at church. Why in the world? This is sometimes because you had a bad experience when it comes to churches and money. Maybe you've lost trust, or maybe, maybe you're just, you just feel like, man, that some, some churches, that's, that's what it's all about all the time. Maybe you came from a church, and, and, and I've, I've, I can't tell you how many times people have come to Mosaic, and, and, and they, they say things like this. The last church I was at, all they did was talk about money. And obviously, we never want to be that church, and if you've attended here for any amount of time, you know, we, we, we try to just teach God's word on the subject. We don't talk about it all the time, but we know that it's important. We know that it's important. And one thing that I've just learned as I've grown up is that many times the thing that makes us the most uncomfortable is the thing that we need to talk about the most. Right? And many of us, um, we, we, we live throughout life up to our eyeballs in debt, completely stressed out all the time about money, completely just bound up by it, and yet we never want to talk about it. Have you been there? Did you know, though, that in the Bible, there are roughly 2,350 verses concerning money? About 15% of everything Jesus spoke about related to money and possessions, 15%. And 16 out of the 38 parables that he taught dealt with the topic of money. Can you imagine that? The only subject that Jesus taught more on than money was the kingdom of God. That's it. And so when it comes to, our, to, to money and our relationship with Jesus, we can't compartmentalize it. Like I've got my money life over here and I got my Jesus life over here and the two don't talk, right? Because Jesus was explicit in his teaching on money. And, and basically the gist of his teaching is that your heart and your relationship with money are connected and you can't disconnect them. Your heart and your relationship with money are connected. And so we can't compartmentalize it and, and, and act like the two are on different planets. They're not. But what we know and what we're going to see in God's word this morning is that life is better. Everybody say better. That's the key word of this series. Life is better when we value godliness more than wealth. When we value godliness more than wealth. Psalm 37, 16, it's our verse of the day. It says, it is better to be godly and have little than to be evil 
and rich. Now, those are two pretty polar opposites, right? You know, I, I, I mean, and, and, and it almost feels like we have to choose one or the other, and that's not the case. But the verse is clear. It's better if you're godly and you, you don't hardly have anything than to have everything but to have an evil heart and do evil things. But we know, and we're going to look in other passages of Scripture, and we know that godliness and wealth don't have to compete, but many times they do. And I know that they have in my own heart And so I'm not preaching at you this morning, I'm preaching with you because this is a struggle and this is something that every single one of us have to wrestle with. And I believe this is why there's so many teachings in God's word surrounding finances and wealth. But we need to realize right off the bat today that godliness and wealth aren't even close to being on the same level of importance. Not even close. It's not even like a conversational topic as if they're, they're somehow in competition with each other. And so in a verse like this that says it's better to be godly than to be evil and rich, like like they're not competing, there's no contest. Putting God first in our finances and having a godly view on money will always trump a life dedicated to wealth. Godliness has intrinsic value. What does that mean? It's, it means that in and of itself, the, 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 the state of being godly holds value, okay? It's, it holds its own value. It has value on this earth, it holds value eternally, and it fulfills your life's purpose. Wealth, on the other, stand, on the, on the other hand, and money, it's dependent on circumstance. It's dependent on the economy and government and things that are out of our control. And, and flatly put, it could be here one day and gone to the next. And some of you have experienced that in life where you had a lot and then all of a sudden, because of circumstances outside of your control, you had very little. Have you ever been there? I learned in, in studying for this and, and I kind of knew it because I knew, uh, you know, I, I, I used to hear that the US dollar was backed up by gold, like in Fort Knox or whatever. Did you ever hear that growing up? It's like, oh, there's, there's gold that backs it up somewhere. But actually, along the way, sometime in history, and this is your economy lesson for the day, the US dollar actually became what, what they call fiat money. And fiat money is a currency that lacks intrinsic value basically means the paper in and of itself means nothing. And it's established as a legal tender by a government regulation. Traditionally, currencies were backed by physical commodities such as silver and gold, but fiat money is based on the credit worthiness of the issuing government. Hey, you're laughing. I said that not to be political at all today, but just to say that credit worthiness of other people changes. You know because your credit has changed over the years. Maybe it's gotten better, maybe it's gotten worse. But the fact remains that when we tie our identity and, and put so much value in something that we can't control that could change and it could go up and it go go down and we put so much stock in it, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Even silver and gold only have the value that someone is willing to pay for them. Does that make sense? The value of something is only what someone is willing to pay, which is one of the reasons why you go out to buy a used car these days and and you're paying 10 grand for something that has 300,000 miles on it. Come on, somebody, right? (laughs) Somebody's willing to pay it. Godliness and wealth 
aren't even on the same playing field. One, can, one you can take with you into eternity, one you cannot. And, but we have to acknowledge that there's a battle going on for our hearts. There's a battle going on for our hearts. Luke 16, 13 says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, flat out. Can't do it. Either you're gonna love the one and hate the other or vice versa. You cannot serve and be enslaved to God and money. It's one or the other. And if your priority is as, if your priority is something as fickle as money, then your life is built on a house of cards and it's gonna fall. It might not fall until after you breathe your last breath. Think about that. You might take some wealth with you till your last moment here on this earth. But it will fall if that was the foundation of your life. Something to consider. So why must we value godliness over wealth? Why is this such a big deal? Number one, and we're gonna fly through this today. When we are enslaved to money, we don't see what God sees, plain and simple. When we are enslaved to money and when we value wealth more than we value godliness, we literally don't see the world the same as God sees it. And Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter 16 that illustrates it. Let's read it together in verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man and note there is no name for him, who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick open, lick his open sores. Kind of gross, right? And you might even imagine or think that the rich man didn't even know him, that maybe it's just, oh, it's just this guy at the gate and didn't really think anything of it. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham. Remember that name. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried and went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over from you to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses, but Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Side note, some of us really want God to speak. And all we got to do is open up his word. Right? And that's what Abraham is saying. Hey, it's been written. You've got the word of God right in your hands. Most of you on your phones right now. Come on. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, 
But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Which we know is true because Jesus rose from the dead. And people still aren't persuaded that he's the son of God. But in this one short story, we see the whole 30,000 foot perspective of life. That we have one life, and we know that our choices now affect eternity. And we see in the story that having a lot and being very wealthy and wanting for nothing can lead us to a place where we don't see the needs around us. We don't see what God sees. Now, just a few observations about this story. First of all, Jesus identified Lazarus by name. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but when giving a parable or a story, Jesus never named a character, not even once. And so either this is the exception to the rule or Jesus is telling a real story. Wow. And there was one main difference between Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was nameless, but Lazarus had a name. You might think that the main difference between them was that one was rich and one was poor. One had everything they could possibly want, and one had open sores and dogs were licking them, rich and poor. But no, the difference, the difference is ever so important. The difference between them was the difference between being known and honored by God and not being known and not being honored by God. That's the difference between them. Lazarus, his name literally means God is my help, right? God is my help. I need him. I depend on him. I can't get through life without him. God is my help. And so under God's umbrella of provision, we see that Lazarus was actually the rich man because it's better to be godly. It's better to be godly. You know, we see poor Lazarus, poor in this life, carried upon death to the side of Abraham. Now, why is that important? Listen, if wealth alone determines our fate, then Abraham should be in hell right alongside the rich man. Why? Because Abraham was very, very rich. Abraham was extremely rich. And so the fact of being rich or poor is not, is not the deal. It's about godliness. It's about godliness. It's about seeing the world and seeing life as God sees it. That's what it's about. Think about this too. The rich man didn't just know about the poor man at his gate. The rich man called Lazarus by name. In the story, you, you read, he said, send Lazarus. So it wasn't just some nameless man at the front gate. It was a man that he even knew his name and yet was un unwilling to help. So if he knew him when he was in hell, he definitely knew him when he was still on earth. He knew him, yet did nothing for him 
because he didn't see the world and life as God sees it. God, on the other hand, he knows you. And he did everything for you. And so there's no comparison between wealth and godliness. Godliness and seeing life how God sees it and doing life how God has laid it out for us to do it is the most important thing. And it will trump all the wealth in the world every single day. Number two, when we value godliness, and why is it better? Because when we value godliness, wealth is redefined. Wealth is redefined. And so listen, when it comes to scripture, money isn't evil. It's an inanimate object, and inanimate objects can't be evil, right? They can't. The love of money is evil. And we can all have evil desires, and we're going to see that into this, in this next verse. You can have them, I can have them. We can all fall into the trap of having wealth be defined by the world in our eyes and in our mind rather than God. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That is a redefinition. That true wealth is based on our godliness and contentment. We talked about contentment last week, right? And so true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this, into this world, and we could take nothing um, we could take, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? Actually, after I said that in service one time, my dad literally sent me a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> it was some meme on, meme on Facebook, and so thanks, Dad. <laughs> Proved me wrong, but the principle is still the same. <clears throat> so, if we have enough food and clothing, let, let us be content. But people who long to be rich, underline that because that's the most important part there. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now guys, just to be vulnerable with you, Man, I, at times, wish I had more money just like everybody else, right? We've all been there because it's all about comparison. And when you compare yourself to other people, when you compare and you compete, you live in defeat. And so it's super easy to look around and just wish you had more, right? But knowing that means that we can fight against it, that we can have a different perspective and let wealth be redefined for us by God's word. And so we got to get to this place where we know that I can have nice things, but I need to be aware of the grip that they can have on my life. And if I don't have an intentional plan to view and handle uh, wealth through a godly lens, then destruction is my path. That's what the word says, right? That's what we just read. That if I let my longing to be rich, or if I, let, um, or if I have this intense love for money, then some destruction is going to run through my life. And so it's dangerous to my, to my faith and to my life. I can have things, but my things can't have me, right? And so what am I longing for? That's a clarifying question for you today. Maybe write that down. What am I longing for? And answer it honestly. Answer it honestly. What am I longing for? Because like this verse says, those who long to be rich, 
are going a path to destruction. Now, since God never meant for us to be walking around scared, right? He didn't mean that, he didn't want that for us. What's the rest of the equation? What's the rest of the equation? So number one, if, if you know, when we're enslaved to money, we don't see what God sees. And number two, when we value godliness, wealth is redefined and our lens that we look at life changes. Then what's the rest? Number three, <clears throat> this is the good part. True life is found through generosity. True life is found through generosity. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Underline those last two words. True life is found by being generous, by helping people, by always being ready to share. And so true life is giving, not getting. It means that I'm rich, not just in material assets, but I'm rich in good works. That's what generous generosity looks like. One of the most practical and life-changing things for me and my family has been the practice of tithing. It's the most practical way to be godly in your finances, to keep this relationship between, between godliness and wealth in check. The number one way to do it is to tithe. It is. It's the biblical standard. Tithing is giving 10% of everything I earn back to God. And why is it so important? Because when I do that, when I take the first fruits of what God places in my hands, and I take that first 10% and I give it back to God, you know what it does in my life and what I've found to be true for me? Is it breaks the back. It literally breaks the back of money's grip on my life. Because the first thing I do is an act of generosity that, you know what, actually costs me something. It costs me something to a point to where I know that in my heart, it feels like a sacrifice. Now, I know it's not actually a sacrifice because everything that I have is given to me by God's and it all belongs to him. And so because it all belongs to him, I'm simply returning a portion of what he's already blessed me with and it's all his to begin with. And so it's not an act of sacrifice. It's simply a statement that Jesus, you have first place in my life. And because you have first place in my life, you're gonna have first place in my finances because I don't compartmentalize. Now, if you're in a place in life where you're like, Joe, I've never tithed and 10% would break me in half. What do I do? I wanna encourage you. Number one, you pray. Number two, you consider doing something big for God. And number three, you start somewhere. Man, I've talked to people that, that they're like, man, I can't go cold turkey. And so you know what they do? They start with 2%. And in a couple months, they raise it to 4%. And in a couple months, they raise it again. And they ease their way into that God lifestyle of putting God first in their finances. <clears throat> Listen. Let me just share just a couple statistics to help you understand why this is such a big deal for us. 
the Bible's really clear that we're supposed to be generous, that we're supposed to put God first in our finances, and all throughout Scripture, before the Old Testament law was written, and in the New Testament, Jesus commended tithe, and we see the New Testament givers even giving way above and beyond the tithe. But it's the first practical step of creating a generous heart in yourself. It's the first step. It underlines the fact that every single thing in my life came from God and goes back to Him. And so, but listen to these statistics. Only 5% of churchgoers in America tithe. And that's not to beat us up, it's just, it's just where we're at. 5%. 5% of people that call themselves Christ followers put God first in the biblical standard of giving. Put God first. Let me tell you another statistic that'll just blow your mind. The body of Christ, and this was back in 1998, but I guarantee you it's the same today. The body of Christ in the United States earned an estimated $5.2 trillion. The total amount given in the United States in, by the body of Christ in the United States was 92 billion. That sounds like a lot, but the amount given was 1.7% of the amount earned. Wealth has a grip on our heart. Now, here's the thing that really will blow your mind. <clears throat> Around the world, if you don't count the United States, you know what the rest of the world gave? 1.8%. So the rest of the world gave more than the wealthiest nation in the world by, by percentage. And so if we wanna do a little like check on where's our heart, Where's our heart? Then we have to ask ourselves, God, what am I longing for? What am I longing for? And we know that if we really want to see the priorities in our life, there's two things we got to look at. We look at our checkbook and we look at our calendar, where we give our time and where we give our finances. And I just want to encourage you, church, <clears throat> you guys, uh, we have an amazingly generous church. We do. But when it comes to the biblical standard of, of generosity, man, th there could be so much more. We could be giving so much more to missions. We could be, you know, doing so many more things in the community. You know, if we just said, God, here's my heart, here's my heart. And so, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about, you know, the, the world, the, the global church, just think, of what God could do with a church that is fully surrendered to him in every area of their life and not just the things that aren't material. We can make the choice, church, that godliness is going to matter more in our lives than wealth. We can, you absolutely can. We can decide to make generosity something we plan for, we exercise and we do. And this is the better way. This is the better way. And so I wanna encourage you today Go back to that verse. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready. How can I prepare my life for generosity? How can I prepare my life for generosity? And if you've walked one of those, um, one of those, through one of those stories where you just don't tr trust uh, the church in general for nothing, then just be generous. Be generous. 
And I really believe that as, as God you know, works on your heart, that, that number one, you can come to trust um, the body of Christ again. But number two, it's way more about your heart than the church. It's way more about the heart than the church. And so how can you increase the generosity quotient in your life by always being ready to have something to share? Amen? This is the better way. By seeing the needs around us, by having a plan to be generous, and by practically making a statement that, God, you're going to have first place in my finances. Amen? I want to encourage you the next time, um, if you're like, man, what is this tithing thing all about? And come to class 201. We unpack it there, lots of scriptures. And, and if you have questions, man, I encourage you to ask. Uh, but, um, you know, I would not be a good pastor to you if I didn't preach the whole of God's word, right? All of it. And so just like that word says, it says, man, man, we need to teach each other these things. Command those who are rich in this present life to be generous. And so that's what we're doing as a church. And so there's a better way. And that better way is valuing God, godliness more than wealth. They don't compete, but we want to put God first in every area of our life. Amen. Amen. Stand with me today. <clears throat> Putting God first in your life begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And even when we talk about finances, I never, ever, ever want to um, not give people an opportunity to put Jesus first. And so you might say, Joe, I'm not sure about this whole giving thing, but I really need Jesus. You know, how Jesus died on the cross for me and, and how he rose again on the third day and he did that so that I could be free of my sins, like the songs that we talked about today. I want that. And so if you could bow your heads and close your eyes all across this place, if you say, Joe, I don't, I don't understand it all yet. I don't really know all the ins and outs, but I know that I need Jesus and I wanna give my life to him today. I wanna surrender my life to him completely. If that's you today and you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand boldly and say, God, Jesus, that, or Joe, that's me. I want to give Jesus my heart. Amen. Awesome. I see some hands. You can put them down as, as, uh, after you raise them. And I want to encourage you right there at your own seat. I want you to pray a prayer in your own words. You might say, Joe, I've never prayed before in my life. That's okay. All you have to do, the Bible says, is you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and you need a savior and that you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and he rose again on the third day and say, Jesus, here's my life. Come into my heart. I want to live for you. You pray a prayer like that the best that you know how and you know what? God sees your heart and he sees that you're surrendering your life to him today and the Bible says that when you do that, you become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen. Amen. Can we give those that gave their lives to Christ a big hand today? Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Hey, on your connect card, there's a place at the bottom that says, I received Christ as my Savior today. Check that. Either drop it in the bucket on the way out or take it to the Welcome Center in the lobby. We've got a Bible and some resources we want to get in your hands. Um, but hey, for the rest of us, let's all pray a closing prayer and say, God, I want to value being like you, godliness, more than I value wealth. And whatever that looks like in my life, have your way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together today. Jesus, we want to value you more than anything else in our life. And God, we cannot deny the fact that our finances and our hearts are connected. You said it. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so we want to make sure that in this life, we're seeing the things that you see. God, that we view wealth and, and all of our assets, the 
the way that you view them, God, and that we want to have a plan ready to be generous and ready to put you first in our finances. And so help us in Jesus' name, help us, Lord, to do what you're calling us to do. And I pray that you'd speak to every single person in this place based on what you've, you've, you've talked to us about in your word today, and you give, give us all a next step and help us to follow it and to be bold in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.